Welcome to How to Love Forever. In this episode, we share our conversation with war veteran turned therapist, Mark Cunningham. Mark shed some light on what it is like having witnessed battle and what he learned from it that now informs some of his work with patients as he develops his couples counseling practice. He explains what a soul wound is, among many other things. And he reveals what his secret wish would be if he happened across a magical genie in a bottle and you might be terribly surprised to find out what it is. <laughs> All I know is I wish I had thought of that answer. All coming up right, right now. Hi, I'm Marco. And I'm Heather. We invite you on a journey of discovery as we explore techniques, tools, and inspiration to better our love lives and our sex lives. Join us as we travel the world, seeking out the stories that can help improve how we do romance and relationships. Come with us as we discover how, How to, to love, love Forever. Hi, I love bunnies, and welcome to How to Love Forever, the podcast that explores all aspects of love, relationships, and sexuality. My name is Heather. And I am still Marco. Yes, you are. Thank you. <laughs> and today we're honored to interview Mark Cunningham, a couples counselor and sex therapist with specialization in healing trauma, helping other veterans through trauma, and guiding individuals and couples through that often difficult task of piecing together their lives after painful events have occurred. Mm -hmm. And the interview, it proved to be a rare look into a therapist's own process within their practice, so it's less shop talk and more personal insight. As such, it became less a conversation about relationship techniques and really more of a glimpse into what happens in the mind of the counselor or therapist themselves. We also touched upon Mark's history of military service and in what ways his personal story impacts his work, both in relationship counseling and personal counseling for vets dealing with trauma. So he shares some techniques that he learned along the way, such as contact statements and emotional focusing, esoteric stuff like that, mm -hmm. which helps his clients get in touch with the store of emotions which are trapped within their physical bodies. Yes, and he describes his own upbringing, how it affected his vision of sexuality and love. <laughs> and he even shares what happened when his mom discovered his porn stash. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> And he discloses how that search for his sexual and romantic identity led him through some questionable avenues before finding the right path for himself. There is so much to this candid conversation. There sure is. So we thank you for joining us today as we present this interview with a fantastic up-and-coming young counselor. Hey, Mark. Mark Cunningham. He has a background in anthropology and a master's in human development and family studies. Mark, you've got a private practice in Fort Collins, Colorado called Adaptive Therapies. How long have you had that practice going? So it was, um, I was kind of part-time while working formally in student counseling for the last three years and just, just jumped ship last summer into full-time private practice. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. And I was reading over your information. You've got a lot of specialties, uh, among which you've got couples counseling, uh, sexuality, non-monogamy, kink, BDSM, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is always good, 
communication skills, which we are super fond of. Yeah. And you are particularly passionate about supporting veterans and their reintegration. Absolutely. And, and I don't, yeah, as much as you write those words specialties, they're definitely things that um, have come into my office and I want my, uh, potential clients or current clients to know that those topics are are safe to explore, although I might not be the, the most experienced, whether it be um, trained or, or lived, that, that it's something that I want to be able to enter this room um, if it's something that is related to the goals of the, the individual or the couple that I'm serving. And so, yeah. No, I totally get you. What would you say the vast majority of the issues that you help your patients work through. Yeah, what's the average day full of problems like in your office? Is there an average day? <laughs> Every day, some, you know, I go home to my wife and I'm like, Joy, I sometimes wish, uh, you know, there are those superstar therapists like Esther Perel who are doing things with their podcasts. And I sometimes wish that I could just have a camera show watch, especially as it really relates to the ebbs and flows of, of the universe, but also of my individual life. I'm so blessed and gifted to be able to sit with um, the spectrum of clients, whether it be talking about sexuality or active military or veterans that I'm serving and helping them to give the things that have helped me with my life to help with their integration to go a little bit smoother to mm -hmm. the standard, you know, anxiety, depression, PTSD, uh, self-actualization, social anxiety, you know, I can span the spectrum of what people find when they connect with me, whether it be through my website or with meeting for a free consult and what it is they, that our relationship brings about. So it's definitely a time of exploring as much as having some core things that have always been passionate for me. So understood. Let's say that you're at the office in the morning. What is it that you expect? What are the fires that you expect to help put out? What are the topics you expect to be able to like lend a shoulder to cry on for, you know, those kind of things? What's going on in people's minds when they come and visit you? I try to drop expectations because the more that I do that, it allows for space for me to be surprised and to follow what's organically showing up without having like an agenda it is my first response to that while I expect to be moved, but not every time. Sometimes I'm really bored and I can get really sleepy. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, That's awesome. Like, like at the, you know, towards the end of the day, it can be like, oh man, I really need another tea, you know? And so that happens too, right? You know, when you've seen six clients in a day, you can definitely run low on energy. So, but I like to let my clients know that I'm never going to be the expert on them. That's them and their journey. And we only meet one hour a week or every two weeks. And so while I could also appreciate being really blunt and direct, and sometimes that can be um, challenging for some clients, it's good when we learn that earlier. And so I really like to be able to create a room where we can be really real and be like, hey, this is what's coming up for me. Um, and, and encouraging my client to respond to me in the same way. It's okay to really say all the things you're thinking and feeling that most people out there in the real world, as we like to say, wouldn't give you that feedback or wouldn't share how they're feeling in response to you. That really strikes a chord with me because it sounds as though you are making it a point to help train your patients, your clients to be open and confident with their communication and have the, the courage to be vulnerable and, and state how they're feeling. So that way, then when they go back out to the real world, 
are they able to apply that to their personal relationships and find growth and development in that way? Being a prior soldier who's a therapist, and I and I put that out there, like it, I, I can draw folks, middle-aged, older men who maybe are struggling to communicate their emotions or their partners feel that way. I strive to try to take my experience what I like to say of how basic training kind of strips you of your connection to your emotions and how I've had to be on this journey of reconnecting with that um, essential part of being a human. And I try to meet those clients where they're at in their journey while also being really direct and blunt sometimes. And I have to kind of say, hey, you have feelings, they're in your body and you need to use them so that your partner or whoever else can tap into empathy with you. Mm. And sometimes they don't have that. Like, it's just like, no, it's pointless. It never gets me anywhere because it hasn't gone well in the past. Oh, so, I mean, I'm sure a standard day in war has as much life-changing experience in it as years of regular life. Mm. Have you seen combat? Yes, I have. Um, I was in Afghanistan from 2010 to 2011 as a military police officer doing convoy security, detaining operations, training Afghan National Police. Um, and you know what? It's actually, uh, here, let me grab this book real quick. Have you heard of this book, At Hell's Gate? No. The Soldier's <laughs> Journey from War to Peace. Who's that by? Claude Anshin Thomas. It moved me so much. And I actually just had a, a Zoom call with the author a couple of weeks ago been preparing for some other projects that I'm a part of. And he's a Vietnam veteran who, uh, like me, volunteered to deploy. And his journey of kind of spiraling into drug addiction and relationship problems. And then do you both know Thich Nhat Hanh, the, yes, the yes. Vietnamese monk who just passed a few weeks yes. ago? So he got pulled to Plum Village uh, to work with him. Wow. And it's all about his journey of becoming a Zen monk himself. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, that is very interesting. Well, for one thing, thank you so much for your service. Absolutely. No matter what politics one has, a warrior is a warrior, and I respect you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I wanted to ask, what are the elements of your experience then that inform your daily practice today? What are the elements of my daily practice? Is there something that you learned during your deployment, mm -hmm. during okay. those trying times that you carried with you to become one of your strengths now as a therapist? or as an advocate? Wow, beautiful question. That is one of my favorite things about being a therapist is when when people respond to me in that way with, wow, what a great question. So I'm gonna have to pause on that. Um, the ability to support others in accepting the, the fight, flies for, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, right? Um, responses and being able to work with folks of various traumas, um, something that I struggled for a long time was in my peak combat experience that I froze and dissociated for a period of time. Um, mm. And when I came back into my body, um, yeah, it's something that I've had to process for a long time. And right. it's something that I didn't talk about for seven or eight years um, and, until I learned of the term moral injury and or soul wound is another way it's referred. Yeah. So I'm kind of covering two different threads there, but uh, both of those are definitely, I believe, strengths um, that feed my current purpose and current way that I show up in my work and in the world. Yeah, going back to like the freezing uh, piece 
being able to learn how to rewrite the narrative and understand the adaptive benefits of all of the responses, depending on what's going on in your environment, rather than viewing one as more better, you know, putting judgment, putting labels onto them um, mm, okay. and also supporting folks in being able to like learn how to release that stuck energy from your body. Cause when you fight or when you flee, that's moving that energy through you. And there's a lot of science showing that animals, like when they've been chased by like a lion or something, and if they get away from it, they'll have this kind of natural tremor response that kind mm -hmm. of moves that energy through the body. And in our culture, given the lack of uh, the military having included emotions art and being able to process when they go through trauma and communicate in a healthy way, leaves can leave a lot of stuck energy in your system. And it wasn't for me until discovering yoga. Um, a few years ago, getting, getting addicted to yoga, I like to say, uh, because there are of, worse addictions. Yeah. That, yeah. I think there's great addictions and that, that is one of them. Um, and yeah, so being able to, to take from that experience and meet clients, whether they be soldiers or uh, rape survivors or anyone um, and to give them a new perspective on their body's response is something that has been very powerful in this work. And, you know, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, he speaks to this quote of veterans are the light at the tip of the candle, illuminating the way forward. And although everyone has their own Vietnam or Afghanistan or their own trauma, like he's speaking to veterans around the importance of them sharing their stories and not just mm -hmm. the glorified hero story right. that can get become the dominant narrative, but sharing all of what it is. Mm -hmm. Um so that way, the rest of the population, whether or not you politically agreed with it or not, your way of lifestyle still sent those soldiers. Right. And thus integrating that wisdom of those experiences into the collective is something that I want to be a part of normalizing or supporting. For those of us unacquainted with the concept, please, could you define moral injury a little bit? Yeah. So moral injury or soul wound, depending on a spiritual or a clinical perspective, um, or cognitive dissonance is another way to understand it, of having a conflict that conflicts with your values in some way. How often do you work with uh, veteran couples or, you know, to, to help them work through like relationship blockages? Not as often as I'd like, um, only given that I'm actually not yet fully licensed as an MFT. I should be within the next year. Um, nice. and I'll also finished, I'll also finish my sex therapy training by then. So that'll be a time to party for me, but, um, <laughs> nice. the reason I say, <laughs> the reason I say that is, um, yeah, I can't yet be on insurance panels. And so, mm -hmm. you know, most veterans are using their TRICARE benefits. Uh, so the, the few that do seek me out, I'm, I'm very happy to work with. I'd say it's about a third of my caseload at this time. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that continues to grow. It's really incredible, the vulnerability that you see from female veterans talking about military sexual trauma to spouses and and their veterans talking about how that showed us up in their home and being really really real about how that relates right and 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 given that we all know that veteran suicide is so rampant right now um, mm -hmm. a big way to understand that is through the lens of people not feeling like they know how to navigate love and relationships and and feel you know whatever normal means so this kind of sheds light on on that and the VA, you know, I don't know. I don't want to talk crap about the VA. I don't use them for my mental health, but 
um, what I'm told is that they don't have all yet the training to really assess and to shine a light on and help encourage is more of that when we're thinking about develop the whole soldier's healing journey. Because a lot of times, right, they're not going to bring that up in terms of sexuality as, as often. That speaks to the whole, the disservice that is typically classically been done to men in our culture and uh, teaching them from an early age to squash their feelings and and just become, you know, the strong, silent type, strong and stoic, and your feelings are not important. So the fact that you're able to help a lot of men learn how to communicate and actually understand that their feelings are valid is really quite a blessing for our entire culture. It enriches us all to Mm -hmm. be able to enrich in one person. To enrich in? (laughs) (laughs) I saw that on a Tish Nhat Hanh poster. I don't know. No, (laughs) no, no. no. But but yeah, I I firmly believe that healing one heals us all. And uh, and so thank you for that as well. Thank you. If you could share, what are some of the like opening techniques to help men in particular actualize their emotions and communicate them? You know, we in the West are in our heads. So how do I, you know, find a way that find language that doesn't immediately maybe throw up their guards or defenses. Uh, so there, there's some learning on my part with each person. Um, mm. While also, how do I encourage them to move into their body and to really notice the quality of their breath, to notice the sensations that arise? There's this, I'm not certified in this path. I've, I've done some training and, and received some supervision from the school of Hakomi. Um, have you heard of this? It's a mindfulness-based psychosomatic therapy. No, mm. not familiar. Yeah. So they have this way of, right, we can have all these thoughts that respond to something someone says. Um yeah there can be a whole myriad of different thoughts and how, how do you know with which one's true? And whereas the body has this wisdom and of what's been more true throughout your whole life experience and how do we mm. tap into that? And so one way is through these things called contact statements, contact statements. Yeah. I'll, I'll have someone turn inward and, and check in with their breath and just slow down and maybe close their eyes. And after a few min- minutes of kind of having them turn inward, I'll say, you know, I just want you to notice what happens in or around your body all on its own without thinking that I'm trying to make you believe that this, that these words are true or not, but just to notice what happens organically. When I say the words, everything inside of you is natural or you're safe here, or I'll listen to you or You can ask for what you want or need. Um, These different statements that get at our core needs as humans to be loved, to be accepted, to be free, to, Mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll sit with what happens, right? And there might be nothing. They might not know. They might just notice that they're kind of neutral. Right. Um, But maybe they'll feel a wall show up over their chest or they'll feel their throat will clench or they'll grimace their face or they'll their breath will change dramatically or or it'll really feel really soothing and they'll really open up and it'll feel really good you know and Mm. and so that speaks to their experience and And what do those different reactions tell you they tell me whether or not that feels true or not 
And so that tells me how this person walks in the world and relates to others with that being a core belief, right? That it's not safe for me to express my truth. It's not safe or parts of me don't feel accepted and I have to guard those. So you're kind of watching for like subtle tension cues, whether someone is subconsciously accepting or rejecting that axiom that you're like feeding them verbally. Yeah. And and also though, having them turn towards that with curiosity and Mm. And being able to also, that also helps them to connect these feelings that are going on all the time in their body, whether or not they're conscious of it, their subconscious yeah. is. Right. Yeah. And their, their, their subconscious is being controlled by that feeling to say or to react in some way. Totally. So the more that we're building awareness over what's going on in the body and how that feeds the thought that they choose to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, gives them more navigational control or. Yeah, just awareness. How do they then start to integrate? How do they approach that? Oh, wow, I've been thinking this, you know, for my entire life that it's not safe for me to express my emotions. Then what sorts of things do you help them kind of put into to place? Yeah, um, great question. That's what we do here. Mark. Yeah, we, we do a lot of great <laughs> questions. Yeah, yeah. So starting with that. The ability to learn about their history and their upbringing and what emotions were allowed and which ones weren't, um, which ones were viewed as negative or bad or wrong. Um, So helping to partition out which ones they are able to really express. Mm -hmm. And uh, from that, using, you know, what's good about expressing those emotions and applying that to, to viewing all emotions as helpful and adaptive and information. They're not always facts but they're information to help us in what we're needing. And and so to to remove that judgment and to get curious about what it is this emotion is helping them to create change in their life. So I, yeah. And a lot of times I will have them, there's another technique called emotional focusing, which is, it's all very related, but having them talk to these parts, whether it be the tension in their chest part or the butterflies in their stomach part or the throat clenching part, and you really have them name it uh, whatever they want. Maybe they'll call it like the destructive part or the punisher part or the, or they'll name it like Bob or Jane or whatever, like, whatever fits for them. Sorry, we have an imaginary friend that we blame like the dirty dishes on and like the fact that the laundry didn't get done, you know, yeah, I didn't put the food away. Yeah. Instead of starting a fight, instead of starting a fight among ourselves, we're yeah. like fucking Barbara. Fucking Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Externalize so the problem. Exactly. Yeah, Externalize it, you know, yeah. get the ego out of the way of solving it and then just solve it. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And if you could talk to Barbara and you have a dialogue around and learn, you know, what it is Barbara wants for your life or what it is Barbara, when Barbara feels the need to show up and, and, and often these things are trying at the end of the day, although they may have behaviors or strategies that end up causing other harm, Um, whether it be addiction or numbing out or distracting or these various ways that we try to cope with difficult feelings. I try to work with them. And I mean, they learn it on their own. I just help offer them language to connect and tap into these parts to learn that they're all trying to protect this person. Right. So that way they can have trust in it and not be fighting with it. Right. When most people feel anxiety, they're like, oh shit, there's that anxiety. I want it to go away. I don't want it to be there. And that just keeps this tension. Mm -hmm. And then it just comes out later unexpectedly. And people tend to get, feel a lot of like shame or guilt 
when they have those feelings pop up because they don't want to feel them. And it feels as though they're, there's something wrong with them. They're broken. They're less than. So that probably helps them want to squash those feelings like even more. But then, of course, that just perpetuates the problem. Absolutely. Tying that back into, you know, sex and love and veterans. Um, as you guys were talking with Dr. Morgan, there's a spectrum to everything. And, you know, a lot of veterans can come home and they can have either hypersexuality or hyposexuality and be very closed off or something in between. And, and being able to learn, like, you know, what is this? hunger seeking right and for me i had to learn like oh it's seeking an adrenaline rush it's seeking to match mm-hmm. what i what i experienced ah. every day driving around looking for ieds and that baseline kind of adrenaline and anxiety that felt exciting while also you know fearful and all the other emotions and mm-hmm. how that bled into the bedroom and bled into my fantasy space and bled into my views and of lifestyle and loving and 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 how that really you know for a long time there was shame and guilt that I had to unpack from that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever find yourself sorry um did you ever find yourself like unintentionally causing drama within your intimate relationships, like looking for that, uh, that rush of adrenaline and, and conflict. Um, so I grew up without a father my whole life and had an amazing mother and two aunts and, um, they were all very different in their sexual and loving lifestyles. And my mom, as much as she could brought sex positivity, there was this moment she found that I was watching porn when I was, I don't know, 14 or so. And, and I remember she's like, Mark, you know, I found this and I don't want you to feel bad, but I did want to offer you something else. And she brought me a playboy and she's like, she's like, this is just another, you know, she's like, I'm, it's not it's not all bad, but there's a lot out there that I don't want you to get lost in. And this shows women in a beautiful way and and, and in another Aww. way. And so that moment, right. It was like, wow, what, who, what moms do that? Yeah. Certainly not my mom. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, mom. Yeah. Um, yeah mom. While also, yeah, I felt uh, in my experience as a young man, I felt very alone at times in trying to figure out dating and relationships and not having seen that as a model at all. And mm. Yeah, both of my aunts uh, had been divorced or had never been in relationships. So I was kind of the lone boy in my in my family of five women. I had two, my two curl cousins, and that was kind of my nuclear family. So I was always really curious of like trying to figure out dating and sexuality and relationships. And that led to me seeking out like Ask Men. Uh, Dr. Hernando Chavez is a sex therapist that writes for them and, right. and, and other. And I would go online to try to teach myself, you know, and that led to some unhealthy learning. Um, I, I will admit that there was a phase where I had, I found the pickup artist community and the, uh. the, those books. And that offered me a roadmap that felt like, oh, here's something I can try and follow. Uh, and then I had to learn that that's not the way I want to relate to anyone, uh, let alone females. And I had to you know, accept that I wanted to step into authenticity and not not portraying some false image of who I am. And the best I yeah. can say about that particular model is that it's sneakiness training. You know, yeah, and so in in such a way, it definitely does eschew any attempt at being authentic with oneself. Uh, you're just doing like the NLP of libido at that point. You're just doing like these very subtle sales techniques in order to get somebody in bed. Yes, and it speaks to the extreme problems, right? For folks who maybe don't have all the models, mm. how we can grow and evolve in society in offering a space for anyone as they're growing to learn and navigate and, and uh, how, 
dating and sexuality more. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a symptom of, of that culture. And kudos to your mom for pointing it out about porn, because maybe it helped you like be able to figure it out about other things like mm-hmm. the pickup artist kind of stuff and everything, because there are a lot of models right. out there, but not every single one of them is healthy. It's stuff that gets tried and then you're like oh i see the problem with that okay Mm -hmm. get out of the way so anyways yeah agreeing with you (laughs) yes no thank you thank you marco yeah no definitely right planted seeds um that helped me to feel the wrongness although it felt like tools at the time it also felt you could feel that and if i didn't have those earlier influences and maybe i would have been blinded even more well sometimes you got to go in and explore the cave before you realize that's not a cave you should be in right yeah. and you know to play devil's advocate i do like playing devil's advocate it got me over approach anxiety and it got me to have some exposure to like just being rejected and to feeling that and to normalizing that and to not having expectations, mm, yeah, you know, and to like be able to put yourself out there more, which then now without it being about these strategies and techniques, it, it, it allows just this, this, this authentic confidence yeah, to come through. Absolutely. I was actually going to ask you if it kind of helped train you to be confident and approaching women, you know, but not necessarily using the uh, underhanded techniques to demean them and trick them into bed, you know? There's stuff to learn in it. There's stuff to learn in it. For sure. I mean, even some of the most disgusting porn you could find out there at least teaches you how to engage your core. (laughs) So that's just kind of the way I see it. (laughs) Great. Um, But yeah, I want to follow up, Heather, on your question because there's still some Thank pieces you for the focus, that. Because I was going to bring you back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and it's hard, right, when exploring sexuality and love and relationship to, 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 we can throw darts at a dartboard all day long of causality and what, what leads to what in terms of from genetics to childhood upbringing to serving in the military to watching the one movie like it's so hard to pin down all the layers of the onion um, as we Mm -hmm. unfold and grow and understand ourselves and and one layer of that that I feel though from what I shared with you all about my experience in that anthropology class of when I say the moral injury kind of set in or I I, I accepted you know that I wanted to enter a new path was was extreme self-doubt um, mm-hmm. set in in that moment. And I feel for many years in a, in a few different relationships that that led to me struggling to communicate my truth and live by my truth. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what's my example of that? Um, although I learned early on and read, read Ethical Slut uh, early on and really appreciated, you know, the need to be transparent and honest up front with who you are and how you identify. So around that same time, I was in an uh, an evolution of human sexual behavior class. And we were talking about like bonobos and chimps. And one of my friends in class, he's, he came up to me, he's like, Mark, I want to take you out to lunch. And, and he, he talked to me about him and his wife who had been swingers for 10 years. And at that time I had, I had never really heard of anyone living that lifestyle. And so he mm-hmm. brought me into that in, in terms of how they navigate that in their relationship. And I was just like, wow, you can be this open and honest with each other about <laughs> wanting to play with others. And like, wow, that feels so healthy. And that, that's so beautiful. And that's not at all what I got exposed to growing up. Um, right. Yeah. And yeah, navigating my my relationship with my sexuality at that time, post-Afghanistan and as a 21-year-old in Las Vegas. And as you guys were talking about on that previous episode, right, the kind of, pol- the kind of dichotomy of 
you're in Sin City, yet you don't get the quality education, right? And like that's right. what I—that's what I lived. I—I I, I moved to Vegas when I was ten with my family. Um, wasn't my choice. <laughs> At ten, it hardly ever is. Yeah. yeah. And so being exposed to this, you know, all the billboards and all the sexuality everywhere, but yet feeling still this challenge to to name your wants and desires is something that I feel did cause unnecessary drama and conflict. And so although I would meet girlfriends or and I would tell them right out the gate, hey, I'm curious about this whole non-monogamy thing, but I haven't really lived it, but I'm trying to read books and learn about it. And, you know, they would be on board to try to learn with me, but it's it wasn't really something, it was something that we had to figure out together and they wanted it or didn't want it and I wanted it and didn't want it. And it, so there was a lot of, you know, some codependency, some difficulties to, you know, know how to navigate that process of exploring together definitely right. led, to, led to some pain and led to a lot of growth. Well, there's always that social challenge of going off the social menu, so to speak, you know, if you decide that the item on the social menu that I guess we would call, say, for example, monogamy, you know, like isn't for you particularly, and then you begin to explore what options there are, it's a lot of pain because you're going to be encountering people that you're emotionally connected to, that are going to rebel against your suggestion that you may want to explore like a more, you know, like a wider perspective on things. And uh, it's a lonelier path. It really is until you find people that are within that community, because it's tougher to find, especially given how little public authenticity, how little public vulnerability there is around that subject. Just, you know, you don't you don't really talk to the person in the cubicle across from you very often when you work a data entry in a bank or whatever. It's like, oh, and by the way, I had this awesome orgy the other night, you know, and uh, it, it, it's not really that kind of conversation. It tends to be a more guarded space still, you know, so, well, so there's is, a lot of judgment when it comes yeah, to that's why it's guarded sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we got so many walls around that particular topic. You know, Heather and I have dealt with a bit of anxiety about starting our own podcast, basically mm. putting it out to the world, who we are, what we do, et cetera, because we've been guarded. But quite honestly, it's who we are. And uh, 99% of the world is going to listen to one of our podcasts and be like, yeah, I don't care. That 1% is going to be like, ah, grab the pitchforks and torches, but who cares? Hopefully they won't hear us. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're probably not going to hear us. They're busy with cookies at church service or something. I have no idea, no judgment. Uh, but yeah, it, it is. It's tough. So I'm just speaking to, you know, solidarity with you regarding the uh, feeling that you were having in the dating uh, situations that you found yourself in your 20s regarding this when you wanted to explore and you felt that kind of uh, pressure against it. And I'm guessing, let, let me ask you, um, that pressure, that social pressure that you were feeling against lifestyle exploration, for example, from your chosen partners, um, how did that affect your search? Did you decide to quit it? Did you decide that these people weren't for you? Or did you like sacrifice that in order to be with them? Did that create more drama? You know, what, what was your story around that? Well, thanks for stepping into beyond that guardedness uh, to create this space. And that is definitely something that I 
as I entered sex therapy school back in May, I've been continuing to integrate that into my being out in that way as a therapist um, in a smaller community. And that can be definitely ripe with challenge and fear. And, and so, yeah. yeah. yeah but it's the only way to normalize it, isn't it? That's right. That's right. So yeah, going back to your question, Marco. Um, yeah, of course. It led to me going into extreme like, oh, I'm broken. I'm wounded. I just need to figure out monogamy and figure out my heart walls from my father who was never there or from my trauma from the military and how that's disconnecting me from true love or whatever it might be while also having this real embodied truth in my nervous system that would show up in the bedroom and would feel really exciting whether it be imagining my partner with other partners or us you know just cross-talking that and being like yeah wow this feels really like something that's important and I don't want to shut down and but I also want to make it healthier whatever that might mean and so it was always this conflict translated into the bedroom and that would create difficulties in the relationship to know where both stand right as these different parts the wounded part versus the protective part would show up and change the narrative when you're fearing losing that person that you're loving and because of how your your interests might intimidate them or might scare them and uh, so it's taught me a lot about relationships and not feeling responsible for someone else's emotions and (laughs) (laughs) being able to right have a range of emotions in both people and that that's okay as much as you can be sharing the exact emotion and then that's okay. But how do we not be controlled by that and still live our truth? Yeah. And what you say though, personally, I think the fact that you went through this journey in your twenties, I mean, you, you dove into experiences, you dove into a variety of educational moments and experiences. It's kind of like, like a really good time to do it. You know? You're in your 20s, you, you've done all these different things, you run up against different walls and you start to define who you are and who you aren't according to what's authentic and, and genuine inside of you. I love that reframe. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you for that. It kind of is the time to uh, experiment. Yeah. I mean, we can do it at any age, but I, I do feel from my own experiences, I'm really grateful that I went through a lot of shit as a teenager and in my 20s that helped tone my emotional and mental muscles that when as I got older, I became just more confident in who I am and more capable of taking on greater challenges and being more authentic and and helping support others in, in their authenticity. Also, there's an element as you get older of the stakes being higher for making any kind of drastic changes. Uh, Say, for example, you're in your late teens or early 20s and you decide to be anything. Well, cool. That's you asserting your self-definition. You're in your 40s or 50s. You've already built your personal empire. You've got a family. You've got a spouse and children, you know, like all of these kind of things. Everybody has got this little box for you to fit in, you know, your career, all of that stuff. And therefore, you have molded yourself to fit into that box. And the moment there's a little piece of you that goes like, doink, through the walls of the box. <laughs> looking for sunlight, looking for sunlight. <laughs> Everyone's just like, oh my God, emergency, you know? And and like yes, people lose yes. their families, people lose their careers, empires right. topple because one person right. in their 50s decides to be like, you know what? I think I'm not that, you know? And so you're right, right. Uh, Heather, in the sense that it is uh, a preferred time to make those kind of explorations um, because, okay, you always have a choice. Mm-hmm right? But in life, like every choice you make takes you down this avenue. 
where other choices become null and void. Mm -hmm. And the farther you go down that road, the harder it is to backtrack and do these other things. So the earlier, the better for self-exploration, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, no, there's never, there's always different pros and cons to that self-exploration depending on where you're at and mm -hmm. and for for me there was this feeling of like oh yeah all the all the swingers or non-monogamous people are people who have been married for a certain amount of time and now they're doing it to add spice or to add something to their relationship whether it's trying to you know mend something that's broken or lost or or to just expand and grow yeah that's one folder of people one fo one folder right right yeah, that mm -hmm. was that was my narrative though was like oh gosh here i am you know in my lack of communication finding the, the community that I could have found earlier it was like, well, I, I'm starting off by saying, hey, here's this sexual part of me that I'm curious about. And putting that would sometimes lead to drama because it was like, oh, well, can't we form a sec our secure connection first? So it was always this like this or that kind of a struggle. Mm -hmm. And I would think about that and like, yeah, well, that would be really different if we had 10 years of marriage and of closeness and connection and then opened up and versus you know, we're still trying to establish trust while while opening and exploring and, and all the different paths into non-monogamy that now generations are, are are navigating. So that's something else that really excites me is to have those clients that I get to work with and um, bring what I've learned, but also meet them and what they're learning. That is so fascinating mm -hmm. uh, where there's so much more normalization and acceptance of these different ways of loving. That's really fabulous. Yeah, I love it. And I was thinking too about uh, talking about the soul wounds and, and how the VA, you know, hasn't had a lot of therapy available to address like sexual issues, right, for veterans. But I think a lot of that speaks to the fact that we've been able to define things that have been issues in the past. But now, since those are already defined, we've we've got strategies to help with them and ways to mitigate. Now we get to be more nuanced and we get to address things that classically haven't been addressed and we get to like dive a little deeper and be more refined in uh, the ways we we develop our psychology and, and emotional bodies. I say it over and over again, this is the age of exponentially increasing nuance. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's self-definitions are just like fractalizing in, in such ways that, you know, the more change resistant within our society are just like constantly griping and parodying about it. But it's a liberatory experience for those who are going through it. Can you guys tell me more about what it was that helped you about making this podcast that helped you to overcome that guardedness that we were discussing earlier, like what was it? What was it that felt like it meant more than the fear of staying within or staying private? He wants our superhero origin story. That's right. <laughs> well, you're welcome to listen to our very first episode because we, we went into Send that. Send me there. Send yeah. me there. I'll go yeah. listen to that. But the yeah, short form. The Cliff's Notes is this um, <laughs> from the very beginning. Heather and I had this sort of agreement. You know, one of our first conversations that we had as a couple, as a, as a newly minted couple. We've been as, dating for like a week. Yeah. And we felt very strongly about each other. And it was obvious to us that given sort of like the uh, emotional inertia that was happening, uh, that we were just headed in that direction at light speed. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were 
doing our initial, I guess, relationship negotiations, you know, it's like, oh, you have a full time job, that's going to be difficult, because I travel a lot, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, so you're going to have to just quit your job. And she was like, I've been wanting to. So yes, let's do that. I'm like, okay, we're gonna figure it out. I've just been seeking that path. Oh, look, a path. Thank you. And in those negotiations regarding the parameters of relationship, she or I, we can't, we, neither of us can remember who said it first, but that was me. Ladies first, always. So Heather said, uh, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a particularly monogamous person. I don't see myself being in a strictly monogamous relationship for the rest of my life. And I was just like, awesome. Because you plus others sounds great, you know? <laughs> That's the only thing that could be better than just you, you know? <laughs> so so we, we ended up having uh, that kind of E&M relationship, you know? Uh, we explored many methods and limitations of our own conception of ethical non-monogamy. And we ran into insecurities and ego and, yeah. and different walls. And yeah. we're like, let's set rules like this. And, and then we would move yeah. along that path. And then those rules didn't fucking work. They didn't, okay, didn't work for us, let's, you know? Let's bring it back and let's maybe head in this direction and we explored a couple of caves and we ran out because of bears you know that kind of thing and and so we (laughs) for us it's been a hand-in-hand commitment to adventuring together and to finding Mm. out where our healthy sexual expression fits Mm -hmm. in what is a fully committed relationship like hand-in-hand commitment to adventuring together i love that Mm -hmm. well yeah and i mean life for us is a light speed adventure and any day not spent going, what the fuck was that? You know, like is kind of a day that, well, you know, maybe not even mark it on the calendar, you know, but honestly, obviously our, our usual daily lives are not that every single day, but yeah. that is kind of our ideal. You know, we're kind of rock and roll like that. We, mm-hmm. we like intensity of experience. We love weird art philosophies that make us think anything that stimulates is ours. And so the, um, uh, the sexual level is that as well, you know, the libidinic Libidin- the libidinous. The, 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 yes. The humpy, humpy part of our psyche uh, is, uh, <laughs> is uh, of high value to each of us individually. And that's one of the things that we were like so uh, on the same page about to start with. Mm. And uh, on the same page was our mutual commitment to each other's autonomy while working in partnership to have an awesome life together. Uh, we take the concept of partnership very, very deeply. Yeah, we're like wolves, man. I, I'm with her for the rest of my life, as far as I'm concerned. The only question at hand is how to negotiate the demands of life and psyche to make that awesome. Yes, yes. And so we we had this, uh, I guess, running joke because we were just so on the same page about so many things, so happy and stuff, that we were like, we should probably write a book about relationships. Now, neither of us is a relationship expert. We're not therapists. We're not counselors. Nothing like that. We we don't have any sort of accreditation. Um, here we are, like 15 just years. Just the school of life. Yeah. Honestly, yes. Just the school of life, which I know to a professional may not, you know, some professionals may balk at us like, like talking about this stuff in such a public way. But quite honestly, we consider ourselves not experts in relationship. We're podcasters who invite experts in relationship to chat about we curate a forum but that was to uh, i think us uh, for us that was our uh compromise with the topic because we do want to learn more yeah we want to write a book but we also want to learn before we write the book even though 15 years has been like a wonderful learning experience so far we also want to invite other people's experiences and other people's expertise into our awareness and and have a body of work 
like this podcast particularly, that sort of codifies a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different feelings and a lot of different techniques and and uh, philosophies regarding love and relationships before we write that book. And we are actually serious about writing a book. Oh, you know, we kind of sort exactly. of really want to. Yeah, we wanted to we wanted to to have more exploration at a formal level first, you know? So this is the project that leads to that project. Awesome. And within this project, mm-hmm. um, within this project, we have discovered that opening up and becoming vulnerable and getting a thousand percent real with ourselves in public mm-hmm. is extremely important for this project. So for me personally, I've always been a relatively guarded person about like my in a moral intersection of like morality and sexuality, you know, say, for example, been a freak all my life, but, you know, I've never really like pushed for it publicly. And, uh, and I think the same with Heather, but uh, this podcast has definitely made us sort of confront that and uh, bust down that wall and just be like, let the sunshine in, man, because people are going to gripe about it on the internet. Okay, fine, whatever. You know, that's what the internet's for. So, you know, (laughs) so be it. Let's live our life and opening up, getting out of the box Flying our little freak flag from on high will bring the right community, Mm. will bring the right support, will bring the right attitude, all of that. You know, people will be like, oh, yeah, that's them. Let's go over there and hang out with them. I can relate to that. Yeah. And me personally, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with human relationships and psychology and, and all of the permutations of connection. And I feel that connection is like first and foremost, something that our world needs more of in a really healthy fashion. And so if we can help people find ways to connect more authentically, mm-hmm. uh, yes, please. And yeah. I'm I'm just at this point in my life where I no longer care to hide who I am in any fucking way. And if I can help others feel safe enough to be their own authentic selves, then let's fucking do it. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So that's where we're at. And and so that was a personal breakthrough for us. And uh, I can even pinpoint it right on the calendar, like which particular episode it was. You know, we were exploring vulnerability and I felt my body resisting it. I felt, you know, like even though I was talking the words, I felt like this antipathy toward the subject matter toward the outline that we had come up with, all of that stuff. It was like downright belligerent. I was, I was belligerent (laughs) about this particular episode that we were doing, man. And um, as is common, I wasn't quite aware of where that was coming from uh, until like a few days later, we had, uh, we, we had a breakthrough uh, situation where all of a sudden it all clicked, you know, why I was being so resistant to my own personal vulnerability, even though I was talking about what is literally some of the most vulnerable topics in human society, you know, and and expecting others to do the same on the podcast. I mean, what a fucking douche I was being, you know, so, so yeah. Um, and, and that, that's when it really happened right after our vulnerability episode. And I had but been, that's what makes you an expert <laughs> oh, breaking yeah. through that, feeling those feelings and breaking through that. And yeah, right. That's what like you guys, sorry, I don't want to cut you off. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was rambling. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, reading a bunch of books and writing a thesis and going through a hell of a grad school. Like, yeah, that's a process. So is receiving mortars and seeing an RPG hit a truck next to you and like not having a fucking clue what the fuck's happening and like disconnecting from your body. And so is 
feeling vulnerability show up while you're talking about vulnerability and not knowing and feeling stuck with how to connect to that and work through that and learn from that. All of these things make us experts. The magic of our life experiences is what makes you the expert that you are. Like the ways that we put these roles under the web of capitalism and jobs and titles and like that is helpful, right? For one way of feeling like, okay, you've gone through some socially agreed upon way that I feel like I can trust you because you've got some things on your wall. Accreditation, yeah. You must be legitimate. Well, also that does not at all, like... (laughs) The thing that got me through my imposter, I had imposter syndrome for years and it will still creep up from that time and time. Um, But it was never a book that I read or it was never a class that I took. Uh, It was moments like this um, of getting really into the muck and really exposing myself and feeling someone else do that and seeing where those, where our muckiness intersects and then being able to bring that experience to my next person that I'm working with. Mm. That's what makes us the expert. And so I I just, I just want to call you both experts because I really feel so much that I've gained already from this hour or whatever we've been talking. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And and we've been getting a lot from you as well. Obviously uh, we're, we're sharing, therefore enriching everyone. Uh, I love about this. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of also the way I see it in a certain way. I mean, yes, accreditation is very important, especially in an overly litigious society. But it is, yes, you can go to the school, you can learn from the books, you can have the diploma on the wall, um, and you could still be stuck enough inside that you don't know what you're talking about. And just like you can go to West Point and go to like tactical school all you want, but it's not the same as sleeping in the open air at night in a valley in some other country surrounded by snipers. And so, you know, that is the vulnerability in that moment of vulnerability, whether it's in a combat situation or, or our deployment situation or whether it's just in your real life with your own personal sexuality, you may be right. You know, it is what gives us a little bit of authority to be able to help others through that same valley. At least have a conversation. Yeah, just have a conversation. That's where it all starts. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to take a ton of more of your time, but uh, I wanted to ask you one final question, if you don't mind. Shoot. Okay. You're walking through the desert and you find a lamp in the ground. You dust it off. You rub on it with a little piece of cloth. Out comes a genie. And the genie says, you can have three wishes, but they're not for you. They're for the world. What will you wish for, Mark? (laughs) To bring some MDMA and mushrooms into Congress uh, (laughs) or to NATO and to to let them play and uh, learn how to move past otherness to bring about curiosity and understanding of communication uh, beyond language but through energy uh, to bring about new levels of trust and change in how we are able to accept our oneness on this planet and move past these lines that we call nations into yeah an interdependent humanity, but also interdependent with all beings. That would be the one wish. I don't even need two more wishes. Mm. You want to infect the world with compassion and realization that we're all in this together. Mind-blowing, right? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I love it. <laughs> we're on the same page. <laughs>
Yeah. Mark Cunningham, thank you so much for spending some time with us today, getting real thank and exploring you. these intersections between these things that matter so much. And yet we're so vulnerable to feeling fear or pain around them and how unpacking them and talking about them is so important for everyone from the veterans you serve to just anyone listening to the podcast, uh, driving down the street, getting to work, you know, because they can't talk about it at work. Mm. Cubicle shame. So, um, <laughs> So I really do appreciate you taking your time and uh, spending some time with us. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for all the work that you do. Thanks so much for the invite and excited to yeah connect soon, whether it's when we're down there in Las Vegas here in a few months or, or yeah, or via Zoom. Have a great rest of your day. Thank, Thank you. You, you as well. Bye. Oh, man. What an interesting interview. Yeah. It was really cool to be able to get into the mind of a sex and relationship therapist as a person and to not just talk about, you know, technique and theory. That's true. There were some great insights in this chat. I mean, for me, one thing that really stuck out was how that barrage of Las Vegas sexuality culture, you know, all the billboards Mm. and all the clubs and all the everything's everything everywhere yeah mm-hmm. how that can really affect somebody's early dating life when you're growing up oh 100 and then you guys touched on like going off the social menu and mm-hmm. how hard that can be yeah you know all the stigma and that social pressure it can be really tough until you can find your true community yeah it's true um and you can't find your true community without it without going off the social menu mm-hmm. but in this age of exponentially increasing nuance, as I mentioned, the off-menu items are really becoming more easy for people to adopt. As in, they're becoming more on-menu? The menu is expanding, yeah. Yes, please. Menu Uh, choices. Totally. Tasty, tasty. Yes, I agree. (laughs) But it is very important to live your truth in relationships and in your personal sexuality. Oh, yeah. You have to be your own authentic self in that regard. Otherwise, what are you bringing to a relationship? Absolutely. And it's crazy how much one's trauma, it can disconnect you from true love and from your sexual truth. Mm. And then, of course, it just prevents you from truly living a life of relationship integrity and personal integrity. Yeah, I agree. And I guess one of the ways that you can save yourself from that pain is to do what Mark did. Go through the arduous process of becoming a counselor and therapist yourself and to help others Mm. out in that suffering. It's the whole healer, heal thyself thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely one of the ways. Going to therapy yourself is always a good start. Um, But if you really find a calling, you can dive in, get all nerd with it, and uh, and keep going. What was crazy, though, is he called us experts. Well, yeah, because we're like diving into this stuff, even though we're not doing it through college. It's really right. funny that he called us experts. And he's the guy that went to college for this stuff. So it was nice of him to say it. But we are still just podcasters who interview experts. Okay, love bunnies? Yeah, it was very sweet. But we are only experts in our own love life. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We're just enthusiasts. And the rest is this wonderful journey of discovery that we love being able to share with all of you. That's right, love bunnies. We love to share with all of you. And so you share with us. And I don't even know what that means. So I'm probably just going to cut it out. <laughs> <clears throat> Thank <laughs> you. 
Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, you can reach us on Facebook at facebook.com slash howtoloveforever and on Instagram at hownumeral2loveforever. We love to hear all your feedback and what you would like for us to cover next. So you can reach out if you have a story to share or you would like to be a guest on the podcast. Heck, we even have a private mode if you want to share your story but you wish to remain anonymous. That's right. You know we can do it Dear Abby style and read your story or questions in the podcast without any true names revealed. Just email us directly at contact at howtoloveforever.com. So don't be shy because we don't bite without without consent. consent. (laughs) (laughs) So join us next week where we give you our top tips for hacking your environment to make it more conducive for sexy time. It's an episode that's guaranteed to inspire you to rearrange your furniture. (laughs) You're going to find so many dust bunnies. (laughs) But until then, love bunnies. Remember, (laughs) love deep. Love hard. Love forever. Babe, grab the broom. Move the furniture again. Oh, no. (laughs) It's so sexy. It's so sexy. Let me go get a Kleenex because I've got dust allergies. Nothing sexier than a guy wiping snot out of his nose. Well, I'm still here, so apparently it works.